What do you get when you combine true crime, enormous wealth and status, Truman Capote, scandal, and murder? You get the extremely compelling book, Deliberate Cruelty, Truman Capote, The Millionaire's Wife, and The Murder of the Century, which we are chatting about on the show today. As much of a true crime fan as I am, I'm surprised that it has taken us exactly 80 episodes, 80 episodes, by the way, let's celebrate that, but 80 episodes to bring on a true crime book to this show. But at last, here we are. This book is one of the most well-written books I've read all year, and I read it in one sitting. The book is by author Roseanne Montillo. It's her fifth work of narrative nonfiction, which is a genre popularized by Capote himself. And I know you'll be as fascinated by this conversation as I was. Take a listen. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today and to have this conversation today. Thank you very much, Rachel, for having me. This book was so compelling. I read it actually in one sitting. I don't think I told you that offline. And no. I want to start with the title, if if we can. It comes from a quote by Truman Capote, who is a central figure in this story. So can you unpack the meaning of deliberate cruelty for us, that title? Well, he decided to use that in his quotation because he believed that uh, cruelty was... Um, deliberate cruelty was something that he was above unloading on the people he um, was most uh, he was closest to which I find completely ironic because a lot of people felt that that's what he did on his closest friends and family so for a lot of people he did not believe that he was being cruel to anybody and cruelty was something that he did not believe it. So I decided to use that as the title of my book in a sort of ironic way and to quote him largely because of that, because of what he did, because of what he believed and to allow people to decide if he was being cruel or not. Got it. So how did you, I'm wondering how you stumbled on this story and what led you to want to write a book about it? A stumble is a good word because I was reading a biography. I was reading a biography on Truman Capote. He's one of my favorite authors. I think a yeah. lot of people like him because of his um, In Cold Blood, the true crime genre, I think, started with him, with his nonfiction or fiction uh, true crime novel, as mm-hmm. he called it. He started that genre many years ago, and I think it's still the pillar of true crime genres. I would agree. uh, Yes, at least according to him, he was not, you know, he was not uh, very subtle about compliments, giving himself compliments. (laughs) Bless him, as they said in the South. And uh, I think I would agree with that as well. It's still the one that people look to um to the the one that people look to when they start writing a book in that genre and um i was reading about him and um i didn't know that he 
that he was actually fascinated with the whole genre in general. It wasn't just that particular story that he liked, that he really delved into, but there were many others that he was involved in. And involved, it's kind of a loaded word because this one in particular, um, the one with Billy Woodward was one that he pretty much was um, surrounded with for close to, I don't know, uh, 10, 20 years before he actually wrote about it. And it was something that really appealed to him. It was central to his life before he had the guts, well, not the guts, but before he had the time and inclination to start working on it. Yeah, and the main, and you know, you mentioned Billy Woodward a second ago, the main character of the book is Ann Woodward, who is yes. a girl from Kansas, which is, I'm actually a girl from Kansas as well. Oh, yeah. And now I live in Alabama, which of course, Truman Capote has a deep oh, history wow. in Alabama. So there's a lot of my life path randomly <laughs> spring. I obviously, this is not why you wrote, you know, the story about a girl from Kansas, Ann Woodward, but it's just interesting how you can find yourself in characters. Yes in books where you don't expect to find yourself. Yes. Anyway, so we've got Ann Woodward. She's a girl from Kansas. She goes yes. on to marry into enormous wealth. And Anne never felt like she fit in with the rich. So let's start here. Tell us about Anne from her beginnings in Kansas to her pursuit of an acting career to ultimately meeting Billy Woodward. Well, Anne had big dreams, like a lot of people do. She wanted to leave behind her small town roots. She wanted a better life than the one that she had, that the one she had been settled with. But it's not, it's not really uncommon, and one can't really fault her for that. She grew up in the back of a taxi company. She saw her mother going from this very lively woman who had also very big dreams to a woman who died from a horrible disease, who, who couldn't make anything out of her life, who couldn't make things happen for her, whose men really brought her down at every step that she took. And she decided very early on that she just wanted something better. And there was really nothing wrong with that pursuit. She just wanted to leave things behind and seek and seek out something better for herself. And she set her sights on, you know, becoming an actress. And I think the problem for her was that where she came from, she was sort of the big fish in a small town. But mm -hmm. where she went to, she ended up being the small fish in a big town. And mm -hmm. she realized very early on that she really wasn't as maybe talented as she ought to be to build this huge, um, this huge career that she really wanted, and she also <laughs> didn't have the money to pursue right. the lifestyle that she wanted. So once she reached New York, the roles that she was looking for weren't coming to her, and she needed to do a lot more work to better herself. She ended up having plastic surgery. She ended up having a nose job. She ended up doing modeling for soaps, which wasn't really what she had gone there for, mm -hmm. but you know, they paid the bills and um, it, it wasn't where she wanted to be. Her ultimate goal was Hollywood. 
but at least she was away from Kansas and at least she felt that she was doing something which wasn't, you know, driving a taxi right. and dealing with um, the kind of men that her mother was dealing, which at the same time wasn't to say that she didn't deal with a, a few reckless men in the dance in the dance halls where she had to do a little bit more work to secure herself a better lifestyle. So on and the other side, oh, go ahead. No, please. And that's where she met. She ended up meeting, you know, the Woodward men, both of them. Well, perfect segue. Tell me about Billy Woodward. So I want to hear all about him, but there were also some rumors about his sexuality, right? Yes, they were. Well, she ended up meeting his father first. Uh, she ended up meeting William Woodward Sr. Uh, in the dance hall where she was dancing. And the father was there first. He was having a little bit of a troubled marriage. And, you know, she ended up having some kind of a relationship with him. She knew that they couldn't marry or have any kind of a relationship out in the open. But once he brought out the excuse that his son um, needed to be, um, well, I'm trying to put this delicately, but there were rumors that his son was a homosexual and perhaps she could teach him to um, the ways women have to kind of learn teach them to teach them not to be homosexuals anymore as if that was the way they, uh-huh. they could go about maybe she she could end up having a relationship with him so she figured you know if she couldn't have the father perhaps the son could be an option and that's how she ended up meeting billy woodward and she did i mean the two ended up uh having not only a relationship but they ended up getting married i mean obviously that is the beginning of every fairy tale love story i say sarcastically that's not, <laughs> not maybe the best way to start which you no. know this and this story does not end well so maybe that was the best foretelling there could have ever been but when so billy and Anne meet how did Anne's, um as you write in the book craving for a luxurious environment yeah. make billy so attractive to her well, he was wealthy. He was young. He came from a good family. He was part of the New York upper class. He had more money than she ever um, could have desired. So she knew that by having a relationship with him and eventually if she could marry him, it would propel her all the way to places she could never have gone on her own I mean obviously her acting career wasn't going anywhere yeah and she realized I mean after a few years she realized that the roles she was craving uh, weren't coming it doesn't take very long to figure out that you know you're not going to get the kind of work that you desire she was getting a few acting jobs here and there but she was always in the background and she wanted to be up front and she was not going to do that she was getting a little bit older um, she was doing everything she could but it, it, it wasn't going to happen for her and she wasn't going to get the kind of money with her job so the next best thing was to get married to someone who could afford her the kind of lifestyle that she wanted 
Mm-hmm. And Billy Woodward certainly had that kind of money. She, uh, she could travel. She could live in gigantic houses. Uh, she could have luxurious boats, mm-hmm. um, trips, jewelry galore, um, the kind of things they nowadays you only see on televisions and uh, you kind of crave the kind of lifestyle um, that the rich only have. And uh, she was, you know, I think in the back of her mind, she was trying to put aside the kind of place that she grew up and the kind of life that her mother had. She references her mother quite often. She just yeah. didn't want to be the kind of little girl that her mother had grown up into, the kind of woman that her mother had grown up into. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of mothers, not shockingly, based off of everything you've just told us, Billy's mother, Elsie, yes. vociferously disagreed with yes. this marriage. But Billy did ultimately marry They Anne. always do, don't they? Well, not not always, but, but I mean, probably rightfully so in Elsie's case. I mean, for many reasons that you've already said and things that we haven't even gotten to, like the fact that Anne will ultimately end up killing Billy, but I mean, Elsie didn't know that at the time, but, but Billy of of course did marry Anne. I love this passage from the book. Eventually you write, Billy understood that everything she, meaning Anne had done, had just been a way to con him into falling for her. Anne had indeed been a very good actress. He often mused far better than most people had ever given her credit for. That's so beautifully written. So when did their marriage begin to fall apart? Well, she had lied to him on many occasions. She hadn't told him about her past. She hadn't told him about her father. I mean, she had told him that her father was uh, some kind of military man who had died and that's why he couldn't meet them but he couldn't meet her parents when they got married and instead he was her father was someone who had gone off to work a very respectable but you know a job that perhaps the woodwards wouldn't approve of and um, most of all she hadn't told them that she had met his father prior to having a relationship with him. So as soon as he found that out, I think certainly there were going to be, um, there was going to be friction in their marriage. And he of course felt conned by it. He felt that if if she couldn't have a relationship with um, his father, he was going to be second best to that. Uh, He was going, he, had to be someone that she settled for just second best someone that she just picked not randomly but just someone Mm -hmm. that she settled for to be part of the family and as soon as he learned that um she simply uh set her sight on the family and not necessarily on him well of course she uh, he started thinking that well, maybe his mother had been right all along. Mm-hmm. And what he had done was simply a way to rebel against everything that her, his parents had spoken to him about. You know, yeah. all, the, all the women that her, uh, his mother had told him that perhaps wanted him for his money, for his class, for, his, for everything that he could provide him for and not really for the kind of person that he was. 
Yeah. Well, then Billy goes to Kansas and yes. he stumbles upon ample blackmail about Anne. And I kind of see that as the moment that it sealed the marriage's fate, right? Like Billy wasn't coming back home without that marriage being in tatters, right? No, no, of course. I mean, he's going to look at this as ample opportunity for to get his children to divorce her and to start his life from scratch. If he needed any further proof that his wife had lied to him and he could now get a proper divorce, well, there you have it. And for her, this was putting her on notice that now he was serious about this. She was going to be a divorced woman. And what a scandal this was going to cause. I mean, who was going to want her again, knowing that she had done such a horrific thing? Uh, kind of word was going to go around through this circle of tight-knit rich people. She wasn't going to get married to some rich, fancy guy who was going to bring her to Europe again and allow mm -hmm. her to to live in fancy houses she kind of saw her as the end of her dreams again and absolutely she wasn't going to have it in a way you can see her desperation i think and you 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 have to feel sorry for her and for him as well yes and so then we get to the main crux of this story at, at its heart deliberate cruelty is a murder mystery and we've got billy's murder at ann's hand Anne thought she was shooting at a prowler ultimately she shot and killed billy so tell us as much or as little as you want to about the murder not giving too many spoilers away it it plays out so fantastically in the book but what all happened that that night well, they decided to um, spend a weekend, Halloween weekend, in um, in their sort of country home, if you want to call uh, Oyster Bay a country home. But it, it was a very fancy weekend home where they could just spend some time together. For for Anne, this was a way to rekindle their romance. But I don't think Billy felt that way. It was just sort of a... Um, a way to appease her a little bit and spend some time with his children. It was also a way for him to spend some time in his new airplane that he had brought mm -hmm. back from Kansas. So it, the two weren't sharing a bedroom anymore. It was just a weekend away from the trouble and the hustle of Manhattan. And as soon as they got there, they got word that there was a prowler going around stealing from the fancy homes in the area and Anne seemed to be bothered by the idea that someone was stealing objects from homes in the area as they all were as they all would be when they learned that someone was just um, entering their homes and uh, making themselves at home this prowler wasn't just stealing from the houses he was just having lunch he was sleeping um in their bedrooms he was making bologna sandwiches he was really making <laughs> himself at home yeah but I, well which is kind of funny if you want to 
call it that, but he, but he was also stealing cars. He was stealing liquor and he was stealing guns, which I think is, makes it very important because it made everybody a little bit antsy. And it also made everybody prepare for the possibility that he could return again, yeah. which is what Anne and, and Billy did. And Anne became very um, paranoid. And some in the area said that she became very prepared. And whether or not that's true, I mean, I will leave it up to the readers, but mm -hmm. that evening they attended a party and they decided that they were going to be prepared in the event that they would return home and meet up with the prowler. Now, they were the only ones caught very prepared and the idea was Anne's. And some said that Anne, as soon as she got there and found out about the prowler, an idea came to mind that perhaps she could con her way if the prowler happened to be there. She could make believe that the prowler had been her husband and do away with him. That the idea of being a widow was much better than being a divorcee mm, wow. so, you know, if I mean she wasn't going to be looking for it but if the opportunity came up um, she was going to take advantage of it and indeed it did and that mm -hmm. evening she heard a commotion or so she said she told the police and all the records say that and um, she had both she and her husband had gone to Ben uh, with shotguns by their sides because, you know, that's what everybody does. They, you know, you take mm -hmm. your water, you take your medication and you take your shotgun. I do not, but we're the only ones. This was, this was Anne's idea. And some said, you know, reporters said uh, all the newspapers uh, were reporting on the idea that she was the only one that did it. And, um, she heard a commotion outside in the hallway. She saw a shadow and uh, she blasted away. And indeed, uh, it was not the prowler, but surprisingly, most uh, not too many people turned out to be her husband. And she shot at Billy and he died. Mm. Mm, uh, it's just, and, and it was, you know, very beautiful not beautiful that's the wrong way to describe a murder but very fascinating the way that you just described it but the book just describes it so interestingly as well and then you know we mentioned him at the top of the show but Truman Capote ends up playing a hugely significant yeah. role in this book and I have always loved Truman Capote I love the book in cold blood um yeah. you know Truman Capote obviously that that murder happened that quadruple murder rather happened in Kansas which is yes. where I'm from so you know we always kind of grew up knowing in the back of our minds about the clutter murders and just very very scary and then Truman Capote is obviously brilliant and he has you know been just such a cultural figure and as a writer myself as you are yes. as well. He's he's so good at the nonfiction genre. And yeah, go ahead. No, he is. He's fascinated by murders. And I, I think he was so fascinated by Ian Woodward because there is a brilliance about her. Yeah. You're wondering, did she really think that there was 
a prowler in her house or did she really do it to get rid of Billy? And right. Left with such a, I mean, it depends on where you stand. Do you believe her? Uh, you know, do you believe that she is just um, a woman who is sorry and pitiful and she doesn't want to be left alone? Or do you believe that she is a cold blooded murderer? Right, right, right. And so when does he when does he enter the picture? How does he get involved in this? Well, he learns about the murder like everybody else does almost right away because he writes to his friends about um, who are in Europe. He writes about this, um, everything that's going on, about the reports that are going on. And um, he, because he had a house also not far from them, and um, he, he was friends with the same people who also had been at the party. So he heard, he heard about the murder almost right away, but he wasn't really, you know, too captured um, with the idea of writing about it immediately until almost a year later when he found himself in Europe having dinner at the same restaurant that Anne Woodward did. And she is there in San Moritz with a new lover and a new friend, let's call him friend, not necessarily a lover, uh -huh. right away. <laughs> let's call him a new friend. And she's there having dinner and a Truman Capote is sitting across um, the dining room from her. And he is amused by the idea that this woman is there sitting with this new guy um, having dinner as if nothing had happened. Right. Indeed, indeed, a lot of things that happened um, and had been brought brought up on charges in front of a grand jury, although she had been found not guilty. The family had pretty much not um, initially they had backed her up on the idea that she had, you know, done this not on purpose, but just as an accident. Um, she had been pretty much uh, exiled from the New York society. Um, nobody wanted to have anything to do with her. Her children had been sent away to boarding school by her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law had pretty, uh, pretty much sent her away to Europe. Mm -hmm. She didn't want her anywhere near New York City, anywhere near New York or the country itself. So she had to go to Europe away for at least four or five years, Elsie told her. So she was there um, in, in Europe having dinner with new people, new friends, new lovers. And Truman Capote was there and not being very shy or, you know, modest or anything like that. He got up, went over there and went over to her table and decided to introduce herself to introduce himself and was not very polite she did not like homosexuals for yeah. whatever reasons and i think it was because it goes back to her husband there was there were always those rumors that billy was a homosexual uh -huh. Uh -huh. and i think because of that she took it out on truman capote and he was she was very offensive towards him he you know, when he Truman introduced himself, she replied in a very offensive way, and she called him 
um, a term that he did not appreciate. And he made sure to return her words in kind. And the two had a kind of a, a very short but important spat because yeah. the two of them from that moment on really disliked one another. And they had no real reason to do so. The two were very much alike. They right. were friends. They had a very similar background. One would think that the two had having that much in common should have, if not liked one another, at least um, you know, understood one another, understood one another mm-hmm. enjoyed each other's company, um, anything like that. Instead, they ended up hating one another. Well, you write in the book, and I and it's brilliant how you draw this parallel. Both Truman and Anne understood what it was like to be a social pariah, and they they should have been able to forge a bond over that pain. They should Instead, have. it it was the such act. They just they just couldn't stand each other. So, can you explain for us how how? They both, in their own very different ways, but yet the at the crux of it, it's similar. What what was it like for them to be a social pariah? How did they each experience that? Well, for Anne, I think it became almost immediately as soon as she met with Billy Woodward. Mm-hmm. Um, the rumor that she had first had a relationship with his father, it didn't take very long to go around. So she immediately became known as the woman who had had um, senior as a lover first and then ended up having junior, marrying junior in order to become part of the well-known society in New York. So it was an open secret. The only person who didn't know was Billy. And um, she wasn't really well accepted in that circle of people that she wanted to be a part of she it it took a while for her to learn all the little details that would have made her uh, become well known and well accepted there was Mm -hmm. no one there for her who took her under her wings and said you know this is how you should do things this is how you, you gain friends this is how you should dress it was it was all kind of a learning experience and she made lots of mistakes. Truman Capote was known mostly for his talent. She, uh, he also had to learn things on his own. He was, he became a part of that society as soon as he became famous. And um, he, he was all, he was almost the jester in, um, in all these circles. Everybody wanted to know him as soon as he became famous. He told brilliant stories he told brilliant jokes he he sometimes was the butt of the jokes Mm -hmm. as well and um you know he was made fun of because he was uh, he looked a certain way he sounded a certain way um he was also openly gay uh during a time when people kind of hid their uh their sexuality but he was Mm -hmm. not ashamed of it at all and so, you know, they, they kind of were at the outskirts of this social circle that as much as they tried to, they really had a difficult time 
getting into. And it didn't really matter how much time they had uh, and how much money they had. They still didn't really quite belong. Yeah, they never really fit in. No, they they really never did. It was almost like high school. It doesn't matter how much uh, how much you try. There is just that particular circle mm-hmm. that you really cannot break into. At least you know, for some of us anyway, it, it just doesn't seem like you can really make a dent. And for yeah. them, it happened to be that way. Yeah, it's like both of them had all the ingredients there to yes. allow them to belong, but it just never really happened. No, it and- never did. So 20 years after Billy's murder, Truman Capote writes about uh, Anne, basically. Um, And and tell us about that. 20 years later, that's, you know, not an insignificant amount of time after this murder. And tell us about the effect that it had on Anne, which I think ultimately brought her demise. It did. I mean, Truman Capote, he was basking in the glow of in cold blood i think once in cold blood came out it's sort of it was the height but also the lowest point in his career because up until that point he had written quite a few stories that were that were well received he had become famous he had some money but really once he wrote in cold blood he had such huge success mm-hmm. and so much money was coming into him that he really felt on top of the world. And uh, there was nothing he couldn't do. There was nothing he couldn't achieve and there was nothing he couldn't buy. And so what do you do when you have that kind of brilliance, when you're known for that kind of brilliance, but also that kind of monetary gain? Uh, I mean, how do you spend it? How, How do you work with that? But also, how do you follow up such a book? Yeah, how do you, that's like following up with Michael Jackson's thriller. How do you yeah. ever, how do you, how do you do In Cold Blood part two? You know, you, it's yes. almost impossible. It, it is. I know we all wish we had that problem. Right. <laughs> but, but really, it is a problem because you write this work when you're a relatively young man. Yes. And, and now this is what everyone expects from you. But that's a once in a lifetime book, not just for his career, but period like that is, is. That is a once in a lifetime once in not just once in a generation once in it's just no no other book will ever be in cold blood written by Truman oh. Capote or anybody else and so oh. to try to follow that up I mean you and I are both writers that's immense pressure I think maybe the one that comes closest to that would be Helter Skelter yeah okay yeah I like mm-hmm. yeah I think maybe that one you know kind of uh, and there have been many, many books, um, but still, uh, and for a writer, that must be a huge burden. And he felt it. The, I mean, he was going to parties. He was doing drugs. He was uh, uh, sleeping a lot. He was looking for stories. And he still had no way of um, following up. He was working on a script that didn't work out. He was working on short stories, but he had this book in the back of his mind that had been going on for many, many years. And uh, he had actually started that before in Cold Blood. And, um, you know, he had been gathering information like we all do. He was gathering stories. And he, when the little noticed for in Cold Blood, the newspaper noticed came up, 
and he decided to put answer prayers um, on the back burner to concentrate on in cold blood, he's, he kind of decided to set it aside and return to that later on. And now that's what he decided to do. In cold blood was done. There was no part two to that. And um, why not go back to a story that you had been working on many years earlier? You mm -hmm. had more information. You had more time. You certainly had the money to be able to afford the time. So why not go back to it? Uh, there was a lot more dirt that you had collected uh, in the intervening years. Why not do that? And you could really bookend it with the story of Anne Woodward. She would be a huge part of that, as well as the stories of all your swans that you could really include to that. I want great. to talk about that. I want to pause you there for just a second. Of course. I love the concept of the swans. I really want you to tell my listeners what, who the swans were, the women in Capote's life that he referred to as the swans. And then we'll come, then we'll come back to the book about Anne, but I, I've got to park you there on the swans. The swans were these well-known women uh, in New York. They were, I mean, sort of what I consider the housewives of Manhattan yeah uh, yeah yeah but way before time. that was the thing yeah you know there were the wives of well-known politicians the the wives of the CBS uh president uh Bay Paley and Lee uh Ratswell who was the sister of Jackie Kennedy yeah Jackie we've Kennedy. talked about her on the show a couple yeah, of times Jackie, yeah mm -hmm. yeah Jackie Kennedy herself makes an appearance and uh, all these very well-known individuals with whom he had had a very long friendship and they were the women who thought of him as their best friend and right. they were women who had developed long enduring friendships and all of them individually thought of him as the closest friend a woman could ever have mm -hmm. uh, uh, her confidant, uh, her priest, her, uh, I don't know, her work husband, you want to call it that? Although yeah. it didn't really work, but uh, right. uh, it was, uh, he was someone they could tell their deepest secrets um, and someone that would never reveal them, or so they thought. That's the hour, yeah, so they thought. Yes, even though. You have to tell that uh, he always told them that he was writing a book and he was going to reveal all their secrets in them. He, he never made a secret of that. He always told them that for whatever reason, they never took him seriously, you know? Uh, and one has to wonder why, um, why was that? Um, was it because he was... Uh, going through a dry spell at that time was it because they felt that he was too honest with them uh was it because he had promised never to tell although he never made such a promise mm -hmm. i mean was it because he was always so open about his own life you know he spoke about everything with them and to the press i mean there's nothing and he says that there is nothing the press doesn't know about me uh, so what was it about that that really scandalized them? So one has to wonder why they were, in the end, so truly scandalized mm -hmm. about what mm -hmm. happened. Yeah, but I just think the whole concept, like, just 
the the need that he filled within these women and then the need that they filled within him these yeah. swans it as as he called them it's just it's so fascinating but anyway so okay back to the work on Anne so so he he's he finally 20 20 years later is is writing about the Woodward murder and so how did that ultimately affect Anne because I think it's what killed her personally I think so too I mean this was a story that she believed eventually would kind of it was a when that happened it was sort of a fire that wouldn't go out but she felt that with time passing with the years going by everybody would forget about it a new generation of people would come into play and nobody would really remember about what she had done and what you know her husband had died of and she was partially right because Everybody who was like at that party, everybody she had known back um, in the day when Billy had died, it was now growing a little bit older. Um, people had kind of, uh, their memories tend to fade with time and new people come in. So the murder was kind of an old story that people rehashed only in very, in certain circles. And she felt that now she could start from scratch, even though 20 years had passed, you, you know, maybe she had the opportunity to go back to New York. She didn't have to stay in Europe so long and start anew. Well, the story that Truman Capote was going to tell was going to be vicious, was going to be, um, was going to reveal all the details, even though he pretended to change the names. I, I mean, it was very pretentious because those names weren't really changed all that much. Come on. Right. I mean, it was very obvious what this was about. It really was, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. he wasn't trying at all. So when the story came up again, you knew who, uh, you knew that he was talking about her. Mm-hmm. And so he felt, uh, she felt that once the story came out, everybody would be looking at her again. Questions would be asked and she was going to be in the spotlight again. And she was right. And she wasn't going to take it anymore. And it was going to be a huge burden on her, on her children and everybody in her family. And she just couldn't go on one more time telling her story again. Um, The media had changed from the 1950s to the 1970s. Things had really morphed um, from what they were. Newspapers were more relentless, maybe not to the degree that they are now. But certainly but more so from the 50s to the 70s. Certainly they were. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't going to let her get away with just moving to Europe. And um, it, it just was something, a huge burden on her that she couldn't deal with it as much as she had done it last time. And, um, you know, she did what she felt she needed to do. And um, it just ended the way she felt was appropriate. Her mother-in-law obviously didn't think anything of it. Um, she, uh, Elsie felt that, well, she had killed her son and Capote had killed her mother, um, her daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Which, which way, of course he did her. not actually do. Um, what we haven't said is that the book prompted Anne to um, end her own life. And so, you know, obviously Capote didn't pull the prover- the, the actual trigger, no. but he pulled the proverbial trigger kind of. Yeah, kind of, but it also, uh, 
but he also pulled the trigger on himself too, the proverbial trigger to yeah. himself because mm-hmm. it caused him um, to spiral out of control as well. The book didn't talk only about Anne. He also revealed secrets about all his friends. These were these were friends he had curated for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. It wasn't just Anne. It was all about his friends, uh, secrets that all of them felt were oh um things that no one should know about especially for babe paley uh this was the time when she was dying of cancer and to have some of the deepest most private thoughts she had revealed to him splashed all over a magazine article that came out in esquire i mean it must have been devastating to her it was enough she was dealing with personal issues health issues and physical pain to go through that um it it seems as though capote was so desperately always trying to chase that north star of in cold blood that he was almost willing to do anything to reach it betray those that he was closest to and he never was able to reach that north star again and hurt so many people in the process, including himself. You know, yeah. he he was responsible for his own downfall as well. Yeah, but you know, sometimes I wonder if he also felt betrayed by the very people he was betraying. Um, there were times when he talked about having this feeling that he was being used by them as he didn't like the idea of being used as an entertainment prop yeah that he was being um accepted into parties and uh, um, openings and gala openings Mm -hmm. just as a prop to make sure that important people were there and so this was a way to get revenge on them and um they used him and in turn he used them Mm -hmm. the only problem was they came out his friends came out looking um, pitiful and um, used and he came out looking um, disturbed and um, hateful Um, you know just a horrible individual couldn't do anything right and he was the one who whose career was pretty much done yeah you know I just thought of this how difficult must it be to know that you're being invited to all these parties and accepted to all of these events, not because of who you are, but because of the access that you have and, and right. what, and what you do, that's just got to feel really, really terrible, honestly. And so I don't I just cannot tell you how good this book is. I want to close with this, with this final question. What do you hope readers take from the book? Because there's so much here. I mean, there's there's Anne and her, and the and these are obviously real people. So it's I say character loosely, but Anne and her character and Billy and Truman and just so much. And so, what do you ultimately hope readers take from Deliberate Cruelty? Well, I hope that they realize that these people weren't just uh, that they were flawed characters. That they were human despite the things they did that they were that there was a touch of sensitivity to them um i i've spoken to a lot of people who've called both Anne and truman as very cruel individuals 
who uh, who did what they did out of cruelty, given the title, and uh, who were who were mean, who were desperate, and yes, they were all of those things, but they were also very humble. They were also very desperate. They also yearned to belong to a certain circle. Um, they also had a touch of empathy about them. And my agent tells me that I feel sorry for everybody. So, <laughs> you know, even a, a psycho killer for me, I'll, I'll find something to feel sorry about. And maybe that's true, but I think you need to empathize with people at a, to a certain degree and be able to get to know them to really find um, a touch of sensitivity about them as well. Mm-hmm. You have to know their backstory in order to figure out what, why they did the things they did, not to assume everything is as it seems. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Yes, Dr. Freud used to say, we all have a history. So make sure you know that history before you judge them. Absolutely. Oh, the book is so good. Deliberate Cruelty, Truman Capote, The Millionaire's Wife, and The Murder of the Century is out now. What a great read. Thank you so much for being here today. What, a, what an interesting conversation. Thank you very much for having me, Rachel. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Roseanne. And as I said, the book is out now and definitely, definitely worth a spot on your nightstand. We'll be back soon as ever with more before the end of the year. And I would love to know what your favorite books of 2022 have been because I know you've been reading. So shoot me an email anytime at hello. I'd rather be reading at gmail.com and let me know what you've loved this year. I would really love to hear that. So email me anytime. Inbox is always open. Until next time.